come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's an amazing statement of faith by the thief. Can you imagine that? He's hanging there next to this man who's, who's being crucified. And he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When you come into your kingdom. He had faith that Jesus was a king. This man being killed next to him. He had faith that this was a king. And he had faith that, that his death wasn't going to stop him. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. I just love that statement of faith. And, uh, and there's one other thing I, I love about this man, the thief, that was on one of the sides of Jesus. And that is that, that he protected the Son of God in, in the moment of greatest vulnerability. I mean, just the idea that God could become vulnerable is astounding. This is the creator of the universe. All power is in his hand. He can do anything he wants. Legions of angels at his command. The, the Son of God, the, the chosen one of the Father, the only begotten Son. And somehow he became vulnerable. He's hanging there. I mean, you know, all the pictures have the little, little cloth around his loins, but really he's hanging there naked, dying, with people mocking him. And who comes to his defense? A thief next to him actually protects the Son of God. It's a, a beautiful, amazing moment in the, the history of the world. Um, and uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about the thief's point of view and, and, the, and the greatness of what the thief did. Uh, actually, my wife, Amy, it would be a great sermon for her to give because she really understands and has that on her heart. And what I just said is because she said it to me once. So she gets all the credit. She's amazing. But, uh, but I'm not going to talk a lot about that, but I wanted to give you that little taste of, Wow. You know, what was it in his heart of this thief that, that enabled him to make such a statement of faith and protection of God? So we're going to come back to Luke 23 at the end of the sermon from a very different point of view. Uh, the theme, the, the title of my sermon this morning is Jesus Wants to Be With You. Jesus Wants to Be With You. And that's what I want you to be impacted by today is the fact that the, uh, the Son of God wants to be with you. Have you ever thought about the motivations of God's heart? Have you ever spent any time just kind of wondering what, what is it that moves the heart of God? What moved his heart to create the world in the first place? To create men. Why? Why did Jesus leave the right hand of the Father and become a man? You know, everything that we do, there's some motivation inside of us. Something that's, that's whether we recognize it or not, it moves us to do the things that we do. And sometimes there are things that are, you know, that we're unaware of and we find ourselves doing things that we don't really understand or, uh, or, or, or wish we weren't doing 
but there's this thing in us that drives us, right? And sometimes they're good things, you know? We, uh, we have this great desire and it, mo it moves us to do good things. What is it that moves the heart of God? Have you, have you ever wondered if God enjoys you? Has that ever crossed your mind? Does God enjoy me? Myself, like, yeah, I've wondered that. <laughs> I love it. I mean, we know he loves us, right? We can say that with our mind. But does he like us? It's a great question. Does he enjoy us? Does he want to be with me? Or does he, does he just tolerate me? Is it a sign of the great love of God that in spite of his distaste for me, he'll let me into his kingdom? <laughs> I mean, has anybody ever heard, kind of heard that thought? You know, has, has anybody ever felt that in their own hearts? You know, I am, you know, I am despicable, but in your great love, Jesus, you've made a way for me to be with you for eternity. Uh, I met John Mackey a few months ago. He's the CEO of Whole Foods. And I do some work out at Whole Foods in their corporate offices. And so I've been hoping I would get to meet this man at some point. I've been out there for about a year and a half. And I was finally in a situation where I was in a room with him and so I thought, I'm just going to go up and introduce myself. And in my mind I thought this man would have every reason to want to have a conversation with me. I can talk to him about some of his, uh, you know, some things in his company that that are special projects that he started. Um, we share a great desire to, to see non-profit good community ventures funded by for-profit operations. There's a, uh, a water company we started with the House of Prayer called Cielo. And the idea is, the company's actually named Day and Night Waters because we want the operation going day and night as the prayer is going day and night so that we're learning how to blend work and prayer. And so this company exists for the benefit of the House of Prayer. And if you get Ozarka in your house, you should be getting Cielo. <laughs> or in your church. Come and talk to us. But, uh, but John Mackey has a similar vision, much grander, of for-profit businesses that are funding worthwhile endeavors on the earth that will help the community of Austin and of the world be a better place. So I thought, you know, this man will want to talk to me. And I walked up and I introduced myself, and as soon as I started shaking his hand, I saw the barrier go up. And I realized, he doesn't want to be with me. He, do, he doesn't really, he has so many people that come up to him and say, hi John, I, you know, I'm so and so. You know, or that want him to help them with whatever. That, that he just has this little wall that goes up, at least for me, maybe it's just me. Maybe everyone else he wants to be with, but not me. <laughs> so this wall went up there. I could just see it. And, and he was polite and said, yeah, whatever. And I got away from there as quick as possible because I knew he didn't want to be with me. And I didn't want to be with someone, even a great man, who didn't want to be with me. So what about Jesus? This great man, the, the king of creation. Is, does he want to be with me? Have you ever wondered that? Okay, turn to page 838. We're going to Mark chapter 3. Little gem of a passage.
All right. Verse 13. And he went up on a mountain, speaking of Jesus, and called to him those whom he desired. Everybody say desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Everybody say that. Be with him. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. I love this passage. He went up on the mountain and called to him those he desired. Jesus had some people that he wanted to be with. He had some people that he desired. That would, they would be around him and be with him. And he called them and they came and he appointed 12 of them whom he wanted to be with him and whom he wanted to send out. And I think some of what Jesus enjoyed about the, these, these 12 is their different personalities. He liked them. You got Peter, right? Wes was telling me he preached on Peter a couple weeks ago and the, the budding, developing relationship of Jesus and Peter. You know, this impulsive, loud guy who will do anything and then immediately repent of it and go do something else. You've got John, a forceful, but inside just a big mushball. John's the one I love. You know, he writes his gospel and he says, he doesn't even name his own name. He says, the disciple that Jesus loved. Ah, that's how I want to call myself. The one that Jesus loves. Matthew, the entrepreneur, right? Simon, a political zealot. Got this mix. Judas, you know, what was he like? Judas, what was his personality like? You've got Thomas, my uh, namesake. The skeptic. I always thought my name wasn't very fair. No offense, my father's in the audience. But I always thought Thomas means twin. You know, that's what the name means. I'm not a twin. And the, the, the person I'm named for in the, in the Bible was known for his doubts. So I was just kind of, it was always a curiosity to me. Why am I named Thomas as I was growing up? And I, I was speaking to some friends, the Jake Nuts, and they said, Oh, that, the statement that Thomas makes, my Lord and my God, you know, after Jesus says, you know, come and look, put your hands in. And he just falls down and says, my Lord and my God. What an amazing moment that is. So it's a good name, Thomas. And Jesus wanted to be with these guys. He wanted to hang out with them. He would spend days with them. What about, what about Thaddeus? Have you ever wondered about Thaddeus? You know, he's in the 12, but you never hear anything about him. I wonder if Thaddeus is a little bit like uh, Todd Nance, who's one of my favorite people. And he's this quiet little powerhouse who has the desire to see a school of prayer birthed in the nation of Turkey. And yet he just, he just taught. And so Todd, I just want to say to you, I want to be there the day that school opens. I feel the Holy Spirit on me right now. I want to be there when that school opens. Okay? Let it be, Lord. All right. Thaddeus. He wanted to be, Jesus wanted to be with these people. He liked them. 
Notice the order in Mark 3.13. We get this completely wrong in our own hearts and in the church. Verse 14, He appointed twelve so that they might be with Him first and second that He might send them out to preach. Jesus calls us to Himself not primarily to use us in ministry. He calls us to Himself not primarily so that we can be kind of an a, a, a agent of His kingdom. Now He does call us to Himself so that we will be that. And He wants us to be fruitful. But that's not the first reason. He called the twelve to Him so that they might be with Him first. And then so that He might send them out. Key to a successful ministry. Key to not being burned out in ministry. Key to being an evangelist, being a missions, being in, in missions, being a missionary, working with, with children who have, have special needs. Key to this is to know that you're a lover of God first. That He wants you to love Him and be with Him first. And that you're successful just by being with Him. You're successful just by saying yes and being willing to be in His presence. And then when He sends you out, He sends you out and you do what he's, He tells you to do. But you come back. He would send the disciples out and they'd go do this stuff, right? Cast out demons and heal the sick. And they'd return to Him with great joy and say, this is what happened. Or, or we couldn't really get the demon out of this one guy. Or whatever. But they'd come back to Him and be with Him again. And there's a rhythm of ministry where the priority is to be with Jesus. And then the power comes from being sent by Him from that place of presence and ministering. But your heart is always back there, right? It's one of the things I love about the house of prayer. It's like, where my, it's my heart... I, I was talking to a guy yesterday down in City Hall. They had this festival. And I had a conversation with him. And I told him, go to the house of prayer uh, uh, this week. I probably won't be there because I have a full-time job and I'm not there that much. But you'll find my heart there somewhere. <laughs> Isn't that funny? I never said that before, but I said it to him. It's like, even when you're out in ministry, and it's rewarding, or maybe it's devastating, or maybe it's difficult, or maybe it's easy, but your heart is with Jesus. And of course, He's with you in ministry as well. But to be drawn back to that place where, uh, where you're with Him. Uh, turn to page 560. Keep your finger in Mark. Turn to page 560. We're gonna pre I'm preaching today out of the Gospels and out of Song of Songs. These two books go really well together. Because Song of Songs has this intense poetic language that if you, if you get it, it'll light your heart on fire. I'll walk over here to this side for a little while here. Okay. Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 4. This little phrase. Okay, this is this, the bride and the bridegroom, and this is something the bride says right at the beginning. It's like a life vision. It's like her prayer. What do I want my life to be like with you, my bridegroom? Verse 4, draw me after you. Let us run. Get it? Draw me after you, let us run. There's a drawing 
to Jesus that's the first cry of us as the bride of Christ. And then we say, okay, let us run. But I want to be drawn first. I want to be with you first. You want to be with me first. So let's be together and then let whatever running we do, whatever ministry we do, come out of that. See, so often we kind of think, well, I've got to, I've got to do something for God. And so I, we go off running. And eventually we find ourselves, you know, good stuff can come of it, but we find ourselves where we've run away from Jesus. And then we have to go back. But our tendency is then we just go off running in a different direction. And we're hoping we're with Him. But instead, let's set ourselves and set our hearts to be drawn to Him. And then when He, when he goes, we go with Him. Let's run together. But draw me after yourself. Draw me to yourself. You see this principle also in many other places in Scripture. The first, if you ever considered the first and second commandments, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. He wants to be with you. He wants your love. He wants your interaction. And the second follows after it to go love your neighbor as yourself. Draw me after you. Then let us run together. Love the Lord your God. And then love your neighbor. Today, uh, March 25th, I pulled up this Bible software. Looking, I was going to look up one verse this morning about the, what we were preaching on. And uh, I was preaching on. And my utmost for his highest popped up for, for today. March 25th, just randomly, because it always pops up when my Bible software opens. And listen to this. This is what it said. Only occasionally is the Christian life a matter of obedience. Huh. That's interesting. At those times when a crisis arises, we have to find out what God's will is. Yet most of our life is not spent trying to be consciously obedient but in maintaining the relationship. Being the friend of the bridegroom. Christian work can actually be a means of diverting a person's focus away from Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's today. My utmost for his highest. And it was just, it's, it's exactly what I wanted to talk about. So, so in saying this, I'm not trying to be anti-performance. I'm not saying, don't go do anything for God or with God. Don't, don't, don't see, uh, see uh, fruitfulness as a, a good thing to shoot for. I'm saying, don't let that be the measure of your identity. Don't let who you are be defined by what you do. Let who you are be defined by the fact that Jesus wants to be with you. Is that enough? Can you be defined by who pursues you? Yeah? Aren't we all the time? Who wants to be with me? Oh, that boy, you know, he, he noticed me. It's like there's this thing that rises up, like, wow, you know, he wants to be with me. You know? The Son of God noticed you today. Jason was leading in worship, and you were just, you're just doing your usual thing and singing out. And the Son of God noticed you and said, yeah, I want, I want that praise. I want to be with that person. He came down to be close to you. There's a uh, quick illustration uh, from, from the world of basketball, which I love. 
Uh, and it's the image of being picked on the team, right? Jesus picked his team in Mark 3. So these are the guys that want to be with me. Uh, in America, what, what happens is when you play playground basketball, everyone wants to be on the court the longest. And the way you stay on the court is by winning games. The winning team stays, the losing team leaves. And if you keep winning, you can play all afternoon. And so the goal is to get the best guys on your team, right? And get yourself on the team. So, you know, you might see that a team's forming for the next game that's not so good, but there's some really good guys that have come, and they're going to be in the game after that. So you turn down the first game so you can be with the guys in the second game and play all day. And so I went to uh, Taiwan, and I, started play I went to the playground to play pickup basketball, because I love basketball. And I was astonished at the way things work, because it was completely different. I was on this team that was terrible, and no surprise that I was on it. It was a bad team, and we lost very badly. Uh, the next team that came along only had three players, so two of the guys from our team joined the team that played, and they beat the team that beat us. Right? So they were obviously a much better team. Then it was our turn to come and get slaughtered by the team that had beaten the team that beat us. And these two guys left that team and came back to our team. And I was stunned. This would never happen in the U.S. Because in China, there's such a sense of group identity that, uh, that the team they were on was much more important than whether they won or not. That was their team. So they left the winning team to come back and be on the losing team. I love that. Jesus picks his team and he doesn't pick it necessarily based on the things that are obvious. He wants the team to be together first. Alright? Good. Mark chapter 3. Is this an accident? I wonder. Genesis 2. Think about it. Don't turn there, but just think about it. Genesis 2. This is a little metaphor. Right at the beginning of the whole story of creation. And there's this little phrase spoken, it is not good for the man to be alone. Genesis 2. It's not good, speaking of Adam, for the man to be alone. Mark chapter 3. He went up on the mountain and he summoned those he desired that they would be with him. It's not good for the man to be alone. He summoned those he wanted to be with him. It's not a this is not a little, this is written large in the history of the, of the church and of the world. That God has something in his heart that he wants to be with people. So Jesus' disciples were the first fruits of his eternal inheritance. But what about you? You know, that was, Mark chapter 3 is about the disciples, right? There's a whole crowd there and he picked the ones he wanted and they were with him. You know, what about you right now? What about the ones that were left behind? They weren't picked that day. Let's turn to John 17, verse 24, page 903. This is, this is the verse I love. When I go in the prayer room, this is, this is... I'll go here as often as anywhere and start here. This is Jesus' prayer. Get this. John 17, 24, right? This is before His... Crucifixion. He knows where he's going. He understands the situation exactly. He knows what's going to go down the next day. He knows all about the betrayal of Judas. Judas has just left. He knows what is about to happen. And what does he pray? Father, 
He goes before his father. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, they may be with me where I am. Isn't that amazing? He's praying, if you back up a little bit, he's praying specifically for you. This is his prayer for you. He says, I'm praying now in, where is it? Verse, verse 9, uh, a little bit later. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Right? He's praying for you. You've believed in Jesus, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ, through his word. So Jesus is praying for you. This is his prayer. And what does he pray? He says, Father, I desire that you, that you, that you be with me where I am. I want them to be with me. He cries out. He says, I want them to be with me. I love it. This is on his heart before he goes to the cross. Isn't that amazing? We all uh, carry the scars of multiple rejections, don't we? Just every one of us. It's not just what it is to be a human. Maybe you're the last one who was picked for teens, for PE, or maybe you're divorced, or maybe your mother thought about having an abortion. We carry these scars in us of, of being rejected, of somebody who didn't, didn't want us, didn't want to be with us. And Jesus is saying, Father, I desire that they be with me where I am. I want you to close your eyes right now. Just all close our eyes and go before the Lord. I want you to imagine this moment. Just let's capture our imaginations, recapture them as God gave them to us. And, and just picture Jesus kneeling before the Father in the garden and praying. And put your name in there. Hear him saying, Father, I want, I desire that Rudy be with me where I am. Father, I'm about to go to the cross. But Stephen, I want him to be with me. Anne, I want her to be with me where I am. Father, I'm crying out to you. I'm just going to have a moment of silence. I want you to hear Jesus speak your name. intensity to Jesus' desire that that is very strong um, and I don't know what you, you know, saw when you were imagining Jesus but I imagine him crying out I desire that word is a very strong word uh, in the Song of Songs chapter 8 Verses 6 through 7. Turn there, page 564. I told you, you need to keep one, uh, one finger in the Song of Songs and one finger in the Gospels here. 
We're going to be going back and forth. Chapter 8, verse 560, uh, page 564. Verse 6. The bride, once again, the bride is speaking. So you can take this and make it your prayer. Have you ever, who has prayed the Song of Songs? A couple people. I'll tell you what, you get a hold of this, you start praying this little book with understanding, and it will, it changed my heart, changed my life. So this is what the bride says, and so we can say it. To Jesus, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Get that. Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. It's a fire. It's the love of, of Jesus, His desire, the jealousy that's spoken of there, is a jealousy that he would have you and no one else would have you. He wants you. He doesn't want some, something else to grab you. He doesn't want your life to be given over to something else. He has a jealousy that burns in his heart that says, I want this person. And it's like a fire that burns. And it cannot be quenched. It says, many waters cannot quench the fire of God. It's an intense desire. The desire of God to be with you is intense. It's not just kind of a, oh, I'd like it. You know, I want to be with them. No, it's a fire in Revelation chapter 1. John sees Jesus. And what is it? what are his eyes like? He sees this, this risen Son of God standing before him. And his eyes are like fire. They're blazing. They're blazing. As Jesus looks at you, his eyes are blazing with fire that this verse in Song of Songs says is his jealousy over you. He wants to be with you that much that it burns. Isn't that amazing? Can you feel that touch your heart? You, you are the joy that's set before Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What's that joy? The joy is his desire to be with you. That's what he prayed before the Father. I want to be with them. There's a joy that was on his heart. Something that, that, that dominated his thoughts even more than the pain he was about to go through. More than the scorn and the shame. Was this desire to be with people. And the joy that he would have from that. And we asked at the beginning, does God enjoy us? Does he like? Does he want to be with us? Amazingly enough, against everything we've probably been told or mostly believed all of our lives, the answer is, yeah, He does. He likes to be with us. He enjoys our company. He wants to be with us so much that that's what was on His mind, the joy He would have in our presence when He was going to the cross. What about, what about my immaturity? Uh, well, do I disqualify myself from this desire of Jesus to be with me because I'm, because I'm sinful, because I stumble? You know, I've said yes to God, I've said yes to Jesus, and I, and I want to follow Him as best I can. 
These are questions that can arise in your heart as you hear this message. But I mess it up. I messed up this morning. This morning I did something that I wish I hadn't done. And yet you're standing here telling me, Jesus wants to be with you. Is that true of me? And the answer is yes. There's a difference between immaturity and rebellion. And this is really critical. I want you to grab a hold of this this morning. There's a difference in God's kingdom between immaturity and rebellion. When you rebel against God, you've turned yourself away from Him. You've set yourself apart. You've turned your back on Him. You've said, I don't want to be with you. You may want to be with me, but I don't want to be with you. That's rebellion. Immaturity is, I want to be with you. Oh, whoa. Uh, I want to be with you. Oh, whoa. Look at this. Wait, no, I want to be with you. That's immaturity, right? We stumble. We're just broken people. We're wounded. It doesn't surprise God. When you stumble, God is not shocked. He knows you. He knows your frame. He knows how you're made. And He enjoys you in the midst of your immaturity. He enjoys you in the midst of your struggle to be like Him and be with Him. His, his delight in you is not reserved for when you attain. His delight in you is reserved for as you're seeking, before you perform. He wanted to be with them, and then he would send them out, and maybe they would do well, maybe they wouldn't, right? He wanted to be with them knowing, in Mark 3, that, that they would say, hey, I want to be on your right and your left. He wanted to be with them before that, right? And it's the same way with you. He wants to be with you even in the midst of your struggle to mature as a believer. Grab onto that. Hold on to it. When you hear the lie in your heart of, of, I think I'll try to do this so that God will like me, say, no, He likes me right now before I even try. He enjoys me right now before I even make the attempt. Whether I fail or whether I succeed, the fact that I'm going for Him causes Him delight. His eyes are like fire and they're not going to be quenched by the weak waters of my life. You are desired even in immaturity. I could give you a great illustration of this if I had time. Uh, it would be from my marriage with my wife. Uh, there's a moment when I was very immature. <laughs> and, and we were having this conversation and I knew in my heart I was wrong, right? And I knew she was right. And I was afraid of that. I was afraid that, that to admit it. And Amy looked at me and she said, Don't you know I want you? The reason I'm pointing this out is because I want you. I love you. I want to be with you. And it just broke that stronghold and that fear in my heart that if I admitted my weakness before her, that she would reject me. And it was a, a, a turning point in our marriage. And it's the same way. When you feel failure, when you sin, when you stumble, do you run to God or do you run away from Him? If you understand that He wants to be with you, even in the midst of your immaturity, that just like my children, when they're learning to walk and they fall down, I don't condemn them or turn my back. I love the fact that they're trying. 
This is the heart of God. So when you fail, run to Him, not away from Him. Run to Him. Okay? Alright. John 17, 24. Love it. Go there. Pray that. When you, when you go, to your, go to pray, stand before God and say, Jesus, you said to the Father that, that you wanted me to be with you. Well, here I am. It's a good prayer. It'll change you. It'll change your heart. Okay, back to uh, Luke 23, page 884. That's good water. Whoa. <laughs> All right. This is amazing. How long did it take the Father to answer Jesus' prayer? How, uh, how much does the Father love Jesus? Huh? When Jesus comes and presents a request before the Father, what's the Father's heart in response to that? Does the Father care about Jesus' desires and his preferences and his losses? Look at this. Back to Luke 23. The previous night, Jesus had cried out to the Father and said, Father, I want those who believe after, after the disciples, I want them to be with me where I am. And so he's hanging on the cross. He's got these two guys on either side of him. And one of them is, is scorning him. And the other one speaks up and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? Get this. What are the words of Jesus? He says, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It took less than one day for the Father to answer that request. The first fruits, the first one, the thief hanging on the cross. Jesus says, Ah, oh, I cried out last night to my Father and I said, I want them to be with me. And here's this first one. Today you will be with me. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this thief hanging on the cross had nothing to offer God from his past. He admitted, he said, we've spent our lives, we deserve to be up here dying. We've, I've been a thief all my life. His, his, his opportunity for character development as a believer was about an hour. <laughs> right? His future, future ministry potential was somewhat limited. Right? And Jesus wanted to be with him and said, Today, you will be with me. And it was the answer to his prayer. It goes even deeper. This is such a beautiful answer. And this, I just understood this in the prayer room as I was praying through this passage a couple weeks ago. The difference between immaturity and rebellion I mentioned ago, a moment ago, is best illustrated by the disciples. Because there's 11 of them that are stumbling but keep going, and there's one who turns his back, right? Judas. So of these 12, that in Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls and says, I want you to be with me, and I want to send you out. 
One of them turns away and says, no. The other 11 are like, yes, and they're failing, but they say yes. And one says no. What was that one? He was a thief, wasn't he? So there's a thief that Jesus wanted to be with him who turned around and said no. The next day he's hanging on the cross and God gives him a thief who says yes. Does that stun you? The beauty of that? Does that awaken something in your heart? Because there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an argument in the church about who was the right replacement for Judas. Was it Matthias, who they cast lots for in Acts chapter 1? Or was it Paul, really the twelfth apostle? Maybe it wasn't either of them. At least from a relational perspective, right? Because when he called the apostles, he first wanted them to be with him. And then he wanted to send them out. So there's a relational aspect to it first, and then a ministry component. So maybe Paul was, was the, the replacement for Judas in the ministry of the church going forward. But who replaced Judas in the relationship of those apostles to Jesus? It was the thief on the cross, I believe. And that was priority number one. And it's priority number one for you. Jesus wants to be with you more than he wants your good works. He wants to be with you more than he wants you to go out for him. He wants to be with you. He does want to send you out, but he wants to be with you. And you may have no more to offer him than that thief, a spotty past and not much hope for the future. And that doesn't stop the Son of God from saying, Ah, you. You are my reward. You're the joy. I mean, literally, right? Hebrews 12 says, The joy set before him gave him the power to endure the cross. He had this joy set before him on his side that he was going to be with this man in paradise that very day. Have you ever considered that the joy set before him might have been literal? This person, that it might right now, today, be literal. You and you. And you, he had his eyes on you. So what I want to do is just spend some time in prayer. This is one of the things we love to pray in the house of prayer is the delight of God and his people. And we pray that the church would come to know from Ephesians 1 the inheritance of Christ in the saints. The beauty of the inheritance of Christ in the saints. That we're his inheritance. That he wants us forever. And so, and so what I want to do is invite the people here from the Austin House of Prayer to come up. And then I just want to invite you to come forward uh, and be prayed for that, that the barriers that are in your heart, and we all have them, to this type of just intimacy with Jesus first. Because our society is telling us, I guarantee you, your culture in the last six days has told you repeatedly again and again and again that your identity and your worth is based on what you do and your performance. And this morning you're hearing, no, that's not true. Your identity is based on the fact that God wants you. He wants to be with you. So I want to invite you to come forward. Just We're going to have a ministry time. I know it's a little late. Uh, so uh, Jason, if you'll come up. And if you want prayer, then just come forward. And, and Felipe and Lee, Maricela, Dad, would you come up to you? Amy? Okay. So my dad will come up. So just come forward. I'll be up here to pray.
And just, if you need to go, go. If you want to come forward for prayer, come forward. But uh, 